Okay, all the moms and all women, if you would, I'd like you to pull your mirror out for a second, and if you can open it up, that'd be great. So all the moms, pull out your mirror. Uh, All you dads, don't look in it. We don't want any of them to break, like I said before. Pull it out, and I'd like you to look at yourself in the mirror, ladies. So once you open it, go ahead, look uh, in the mirror itself. And this is what I want you to understand, that the person that you are looking at in the mirror, you are more. You are more than the reflection that you see in this mirror. You are more than the number of heads that you turn when you walk in a room. You are more than what men think of you. You are more than the meals that you serve. You are more than the house that you clean. You are more than all the titles and accomplishments that you have. You are more than how a culture evaluates you. Somehow, deep in your soul, you are more. And you know it. And you think it. And every once in a while, you believe it. But how do you really know what you are? Could it possibly have to do with something to someone who lived over 2,000 years ago? A carpenter, a teacher. Because the ripple effect that happened from that teacher's life has had such an impact that it has turned the world upside down. And what I want to talk about today is looking at two different worlds. We're going to compare two different worlds this morning. We're going to compare the ancient world that Jesus was born into and how that world treated women... And we're going to look at Jesus and his ministry and his philosophy of how women should be treated. So let me ask you just a simple question this morning to begin with. What is a woman worth? What is a woman worth? Now, if you're married or your mom's here today, don't answer that question with anything else then. You are worth more than all the money in the world. Right, ladies? Is that right? Yeah. But seriously, what is a woman worth? What is the life of a woman worth? I want to tell you a story uh, from my own world, from my own life, and then we're going to go back and think about it and compare it to the life of the ancient world. Almost nine years ago, my wife Jennifer gave birth to our oldest daughter, Jordan. And uh, by the way, Jordan's birthday's tomorrow. So if you see Jordan and you said happy birthday to it, she would be, she'd think that's awesome. Because um, I know in about five years, if she knew her dad just said that, it's not going to be awesome. So do it now. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, a couple of weeks after Jordan was born, Jen was just exhausted. Jordan had her days and nights mixed up. And so, uh, you know, she was just exhausted. And she said, honey, can you just take care of Jordan all night? And uh, whenever she needs to nurse, you can bring her in and do that. But otherwise, I just want you to take care of all of her needs tonight. 
And I was like, yeah, no problem. Plus, I knew the Pacers were playing in the NBA playoff. So I was like, yes, I would do that for you. I love you. And so I get Jordan and I start uh, to eat some strawberry ice cream. And we're watching the Pacers together. And I dropped some on her head. And um, I licked it off. I know that's not. Hey, I'm just keeping it real, you know. No reason to go and do something different at that point. And uh, so I did that, and I did, Jen had not gone to bed yet, and so I was kind of grateful that she didn't know that. And uh, she said, honey, I just want to tell you two things that I want you to promise that you don't do tonight. She said, first of all, when you have to change Jordan's diaper, don't change it on the white couch. Don't do that. And the second thing was, uh, don't leave Jordan alone in a room by herself because she's moving just a little bit and she could roll off. I'm like, got it, no problem. Well, Jordan and I, we watched the Pacers, uh, the game's over. I'm figuring a child probably should have their diaper changed if it hasn't been changed, you know, in two hours. Uh, so uh, I take her to, God, guess what? The White couch. But in my mind, I got that little diaper-like cloth that you put over first. So I'm thinking everything's going to be fine. I've got the cloth. I've seen Jen do this. Nothing ever happens. I undo the diaper, and all of a sudden, Jordan has a blowout. It's like, you know? And I'm like trying to get it all, and I think, oh, thank God, you know, it's all right here, you know, on this particular diaper cloth. But once I pulled the diaper cloth up, It had, like, gotten through that, and there was this stain on the white couch. Now, during that time, I start cleaning it, trying to get it all ready. Uh, You know, the stain is not coming out. So, all of a sudden, I think it was from God. I'm not sure. But he said, turn over the cushion. So I take the cushion, I turn it over, you know, and I look at Jordan. I'm like, do you think that's a great idea? And she just went like that. And I'm thinking that means yes. And I said, let's just keep this just between me and you. Mom never needs to know. Okay. So I take care of her. I go in. Jennifer nurses her. I come back out and uh, I lay her down on our other couch. And I remembered I had to go get something. I don't know what it was. Probably something to eat, I'm sure. And uh, so I leave her. I walk out of the room. And she had already told me, you know, don't leave her because there's this soft spot on her head. And, like, if that gets damaged, like, there could be major issues that could happen to her developmentally. And I walk out of the room. And I'm getting whatever I had to get. I don't remember now. And all of a sudden, bam! And I run into the other room. And there's Jordan, and she's not moving. She's not crying. She's not anything. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. And you want to talk about panic that has set in. And I reach down, I pick her up, and she's still not moving. It's just like, you know, dead weight, not doing anything. And I pick her up, and I get her about halfway. And all of a sudden, it's like, wah! I'm like, oh, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so glad you're crying. Cry as much as you want. If you wake your mom up, it doesn't matter. Just I'm so grateful. And by the way, I'm so glad that you're so little right now because you'll never remember this in your life. And secondly, 
This is just between you and me, Jordan. Just like the couch with the, you know, it's just between you and me. Mom never needs to know. Now, with that as the backdrop, each of us know how much we value small little babies in our culture. How precious they are. Let's think for a moment, though, of what babies were considered and how they were considered in the ancient world. Because I think you're going to learn something today, and guys especially, because it's a lot of history, so I know some of you would stay even though it's kind of geared towards the women, that I think you're going to learn some things about the ancient world that you never knew before. Historians and archaeologists, as they started figuring out population, this is what they found in the ancient world. That for every hundred... Uh, for every 140 men, there were only 100 women. And so it poses a question, what happened to all the other women? Well, they were just left to die. And the reason they were left to die is because they were the wrong sex. You see, leaving an unwanted infant to die was a common practice in the ancient world. It was never covered up. It was no big deal. In the ancient world, this is what it was. Little girls were often discarded. They were just thrown away. They were not as valuable in the ancient world as little boys. I want to read you a letter that was written about the year that Jesus was born. So, the ancient world, the time Jesus was born. And it's from a man to his pregnant wife in the Roman Empire. His name was Salarian, and her name was Alice. He writes this, I beg you to take good care of our baby son. They already had one child. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. You have sent me word. Don't forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you not to worry. So here is this husband who is concerned about his wife, but as he's writing to her, he's like, hey, when you deliver the baby, if it's a boy, let's keep it. But if it's a girl, just get rid of it. Discard it. It's no big deal. Now, according to Roman law, a father was required to raise all of his boys. All males were to be raised. But, according to Roman law, only the first female had to be raised. You could discard of any of the others. And this was the world, folks, that Jesus was born into. A world in which little girls often would just get discarded. Question, just as a matter of history. What did the disposal of little girls' babies finally stop? Why did that happen? Let me tell you why. There was this small little community who had heard about the teachings of this carpenter and this teacher who said all of life, all children, even little girls are valuable to God. They believed, this little community, that infanticide was wrong And they would not do it. And eventually, this value, this thinking, won the day. 
And this all came about from this carpenter, this teacher named Jesus. You see, Jesus loved children. Jesus loved women. And he honored them both, even though the culture didn't. And this drew people to him, and it still draws people today. And over time, it changed the culture. Jesus respected women. And because of his teaching, the world began to change. The world actually became turned upside down. Now, in the ancient world of Jesus' day, little girls received little or no education whatsoever. A woman was legally classified as a child. So think about that. A little girl was legally classified as a child. Regardless of how high their IQ was, that's what they were determined. Therefore, women were always treated as property. And this still goes on in our world today. And in the ancient world, it was simply understood this, that a woman's highest calling was to bear children. That's what the highest calling was, to bear children, particularly male children. In fact, in ancient Sparta in Greece, a mother who gave birth to a son was given twice as much food and twice as many rationings as that of a mother who had a daughter. Because in the ancient world, they wanted women to know that it was their job, their calling, to produce children. And that is the world in which Jesus was born. Then Jesus comes on the scene. He starts his public ministry. He turns the world upside down. And first of all, this is what changes. Little girls became treasured by the culture. Little girls were treasured by the Jesus culture that he came to carry out. One day Jesus is uh, teaching and all of a sudden there are some parents that bring some little children to him. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, it says this, Then some little children were brought to him so that he could put his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples frowned on the parents' action. Now, you know what? Until I did this research this week, I've always heard this story, and I always thought the reason that the disciples frowned upon it is because they wanted the attention, not the children. That may be partly true, but you know what else is true, I think? Is that the culture said kids weren't valuable. They were insignificant. So why would he be doing this? And then Jesus said this, You must let children come to me, and you must never stop them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to little children like these. You see, the disciples were just following the cultural norm, saying who belonged and who didn't belong, who was accepted and who wasn't accepted. And so they tried to kind of shoo off the kids. But Jesus wasn't having it. In fact, publicly, in front of everyone, he rebukes them, and he says, you can't determine who belongs and who doesn't belong, so I'm going to take the tiniest, smallest thing that you think is no value, and I'm going to say this is the first in the kingdom of heaven. Another time, a guy by the name of Jairus, uh, who was a religious leader, 
His daughter is sick and he goes through this crowd and he's trying to find Jesus. He finally gets to him and he falls to his knees and he says, Jesus, I know you are busy, but please have mercy on me. My daughter is deathly sick. The doctors can't do any more. So please, please come to my house and touch her with your hands and you can make her well, Jesus. Now, the culture was like, it's a little girl. Who cares? We throw little girls away all the time. She's already sick. Let her be discarded. Forget it. Jesus looks at him with compassion and says, of course I will. I'll go through whatever crowd I need to. Let's go. You show me the way. You lead. I'll follow. The problem was, by the time that they get to the house, the little girl's already died. And there is this cloud of grief. And people are upset. And Jesus walks up. And he says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. (laughs) That's what they started doing. They're like, we knew you were a lunatic. She's dead. And they're laughing. They're making fun. And finally Jesus is like, All right, just get me mom and dad. Let's go in. And this is what the scripture says. Jesus took the little girl's hand and said to her in Aramaic, Little girl, I tell you to get up. And at once she jumped to her feet and walked around the room, for she was 12 years old. This sight sent the others nearly out of their mind with joy. You see, the culture of the ancient world was like, Dude, Just let the little girls die. Who cares? And Jesus comes onto the scene. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to show you how valuable this little girl is. I'm going to resurrect her from the dead. Because Jesus treasured little girls. Now, regarding women. Again, the ancient world says that, what was it? Women's number one responsibility was what? They're calling? Bear children. But look at what happens one day as Jesus is teaching. In Luke chapter 11, it says this. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Now, that's a nice thing to say about Jesus' mom, isn't it? I mean, someone to just call out and say, Hey, you know what? you got a great mom. And you, you can kind of imagine that what should happen next is Jesus should say, You know what? My mom is great. My mom is wonderful. I love my mom. She's a great woman. But that's not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now that's kind of an edgy thing to say. Was he cranky that day? Did he, you know, fall asleep on the wrong side of the bed? But Jesus kind of like has this attitude And then they're talking about his mom, like, Jesus, they're just saying something nice about your mom. Can't you just say something like, yeah, I love my mom, my mom's great. But no, he doesn't do that. He makes a point, and this is his point. Jesus says this, that the highest calling for women was no longer about reproducing the species. Motherhood, fatherhood, noble callings. I want every mom and every dad to know in this place, your ultimate calling, if you're a follower of Christ, is not to be a mom, is not to be a dad. It is to be one who honors Christ. Jesus is like, and hey, 
for all of you in the crowd. If you don't have children, you haven't missed out. And by the way, if you have grown children, you are not defined by how they turned out. Isn't that good news? Look, some of the older parents are like, hallelujah, you know. But Jesus says, in my world, the highest calling of women, which is the highest calling for men, is a glorious adventure of doing the will of God. A woman's highest calling, every woman in this gym, is to do the will of God. When Jesus came on the scene, he's calling for women was, regardless of your age, regardless of marital status, Regardless of how much money you make, attractiveness, mirror image, childbearing capacity, it doesn't matter. You can follow me. And by the way, just if you're a woman or a man right now, I just want to give you one moment. If you don't know Christ today, if you had not made him the one that you are going to live your calling for, what are you waiting for? Do it today. At the end of the celebration, we'll give you an opportunity. Do it today. Another time, Jesus is teaching at the home of two women. They were sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. Some of you might have heard this story before. Martha is doing all the work of preparation and all the housekeeping. And we're told she had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. Now, if you have a sister and you're doing all the work and the other one's sitting at some guy's feet, guess what's going to happen? I have two daughters. And all of a sudden, it is like on. And she's like, look at this. She's not doing anything. I can't believe she's not doing a single thing. She gets so ticked off and she's complaining to Jesus. And then Jesus says this, Martha, Martha. Now, let me just say this. If Jesus has to say your name twice, guess what? You're in trouble. It's like in today's culture, when you yell at your kids, you say their first name, but if you want their attention, it is not, Chris, come home. It is Christopher John Bunch, get your rear end home. In this culture, they said your name twice, Martha, Martha. Jesus didn't happen goes on to say, Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, the problem with this particular passage is that forever people make it way too simple. I've done it. I've heard so many messages that basically the synopsis is, well, you should be less like Martha who is busy all the time. And you should be more like Mary, quiet and contemplative. But nobody, I mean absolutely nobody in the ancient world, in the first century, would have ever had that kind of translation. And this is why. The phrase, and you might want to circle it in the scripture there, to sit at someone's feet, to sit at someone's feet, is a technical phrase which means you were a disciple of that teacher. That's why later in the New Testament, Paul says, I was sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. 
He was the teacher that trained Paul. But in the ancient world, this is what you have to know. No women sat at rabbi's feet. Feet. That didn't sound good, did it? Feet. <laughs> I just saying if you knew grammar well enough. Um, but no women ever had that way. No woman was ever a disciple of a rabbi or a teacher. Martha did what the culture said, clean the house, cook the food. Mary did what every man was valued in doing. She became a disciple of the teacher, Jesus. And Jesus said this, Martha got it right, Mary got it, or Martha got it wrong, Mary got it right. And Jesus, what's he do? He actually turns the world upside down. You know, to this day, every woman in this room We could go through, we could ask every single woman, every single one of you know what it's like to be stereotyped. Unfortunately, our culture has never caught up to Jesus in the movement that he had and he wanted for women. I read this story this week. It's about a couple who was attending a marriage conference. And during the marriage conference, I'll just give them names, Max and Esther, Max and Esther are sitting there, and all of a sudden, the instructor of the marriage conference says this, it is essential that husband and wives know the things that are important to each other. And everybody's like, yeah. But then he addresses the men. And he says, men, can you name and describe your wife's favorite flower? And Max kind of leans over to his wife, gently kind of rubs her arm, lovingly whispers, Gold medal all-purpose, isn't it, dear? (laughs) You see, Jesus, when he read about, when you read about the encounters that he had with women, he didn't do this because he got women. He understood women. He fully was able to understand their heart. And whether it was a wealthy woman or a poor woman, a married woman or a single woman, a widow or a wife, a person that was pure or a woman who was a prostitute, Jesus was able to know clearly the heart of that woman. It was like every single time Jesus came into contact with a woman, he said, I see you. I see your heart. I know what you're going through. I want you to know, I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. I am the one man in your life who will never leave you, who will never put you down. And Jesus saw women. He saw the unique identity that they had. But in Jesus' day, that was not the tendency that men had with women. They always identified them in their connection to a man. Kind of a weird thing. But our world has a way of doing this. Old story. CEO of a big company is driving with his wife in the car. They pull up to a gas station to get gas. He goes in to pay for the gas. As he walks back out, he notices that the gas attendant is actually talking to 
his wife. He's kind of curious, wonder what they're talking about. They get back in the car. They get ready to take off. He turns to his wife. And he's like, hey, I noticed you were talking to the gas station attendant. Um, what was that about? And she's like, oh. She's like, we actually uh, were in high school together. And he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And she's like, no, 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 we actually dated in high school. And the CEO gets real, you know, kind of like smug, and he's like, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I know right now you are so thankful and grateful that you married me and you married a CEO rather than that gas station attendant. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, what I was thinking was that if I'd have married him, he would have been the CEO and you would have been the gas station attendant. <laughs> now, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. I have two little girls. This is my question. Why couldn't have she been the CEO? Like, why couldn't she have been the CEO? And maybe even better than that, why did she need to compare herself or describe herself to a man or to a job? Why wouldn't she have just been able to say, you know what, my connection is to the Most High God who sees me as a treasured child and who loves little girls and loves women, and I am going to follow him with all of my heart. That would have been a better story. Jesus valued women and saw that they had just as many gifts as men and that they could be used for the glory of God. You see, Jesus gave to women a whole new purpose, and it's extraordinary. Just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And one of the things I wasn't able to talk about in the Easter story is the impact that women had in that story. In all four Gospels, we're told, it's the women who followed Jesus to the cross. Why? Because the men were afraid. They were scaredy cats. They all ran away. In all four Gospels, the task of being witnesses who proclaim the message of the resurrection. Who was it given to first? Some of you haven't read that part of the Bible. Let me help you. Who was it given to? The women. It was given to the women. Now, the resurrection is what changed everything in the world. And what is so striking is that when the women get to the tomb, they're devastated. And they see that the stone has been rolled away and they think that someone has taken his body or something has happened. And they walk up and all of a sudden they meet Jesus for the very first time. Now, I'm sure they're thinking, what kind of wisdom is he going to give us? Because he's such an amazing teacher and he's been dead and now he's back from the dead. What is he going to say to us? And in Matthew, this is what it says. He says, greetings. Kind of an understatement, don't you think? Like if you've been dead for three days and you come back from the life, don't you think that you'd have something else to say than just greetings? But he says greetings and the scripture says that the women went to their knees and they worshipped him. Dale Bruner, who's a great New Testament scholar, uh, tells a story one day in which he's giving a children's sermon. And as he's giving the sermon... He asked the the kids a question. What were Jesus' first words to the disciples after he came back from the dead? And a little girl is raising her hand. He's like, yes, you? And she goes, I know it. He's like, all right, tell me. And she goes, (laughs) ta-da! 
Now that's a really good translation, don't you think, of what happened? And then what he does next, it changes the world. He says, hey, women, 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 women. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the disciples and then to all the world and to tell them the good news that I am not dead, but I am alive. Now, we look at that and we're like, oh, that's, that's nice, yay for the women they did. Do you realize that 48 hours before that, he was crucified on a cross? Do you think if Jerusalem did not want him around, do you think Jerusalem wants his followers around? It was a dangerous, risky thing that he was calling these women to do. And the women said, yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. Now here's the interesting thing about the ancient world. A woman's testimony was not considered legal. Any woman who would give a testimony, it was not considered valid or binding. In fact, a couple of centuries later, in an effort to kind of reject the resurrection, there's a guy by the name of Celsus from Rome who was a historian who discredited Christianity, and he did so by saying this, the resurrection rests on tales of hysterical females. That's how he tried to discredit it. Now, some of you today may not be very confident in the Word of God, that you think the Bible is just these made-up stories. Well, let me tell you this. If you were an author in the first century and you were making up a story about the testimony of the resurrection, guess what sex you would not have telling it to everybody else? Who? Females. You would never have women do that. If you were making it up, folks, you would make it up by having it male. Why? Because the testimony of women was not legal. But in all four gospel accounts, this is what we read, that the women gave the testimony, and this created a barrier. We see part of this in the Gospel of Luke. We're told this. When they, the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. But they, the men, did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So the women go back and say, no, he's not dead, he's risen. They're like, that's nonsense. Now, the men were the cowards and the chickens who left the cross. They weren't even there when Jesus came. And now Jesus comes back and he's like, go tell them. And the men didn't believe the women. Do you know how frustrated those women must have been? I mean, you talk about some head shaking like that. (laughs) And so Jesus is like, oh, they're not listening to you? Okay, I guess I'll have to come to them. So he comes into this upper room. Whammo, he shows up, and this is what he says. (laughs) Ta-da! And this is what I was thinking about this week. Can you imagine the conversations between those women and these men after they realized that Jesus was not dead, but he had risen from the dead? I'm sure they're like, you chickens, you little pansies, we told you. With some swag, too, you know. (laughs) 
But can you imagine what that did for the women? A culture that doesn't show them any dignity whatsoever. And now they're filled with dignity and honor and purpose. That God chose the women to go and to share the greatest historical event the world has ever known. The resurrection of Christ. Who in the world is this man? This Jesus. Why did he impact the lives of women in such an amazing way? Did it just stop with Jesus? You know, in the early church, when they started churches, they started them in homes. And Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, when he talks about churches being started, roughly half of them were led by women. Half of the house churches were led by women. In Roman law, a widow was fined. She was fined. A widow was fined if she did not remarry in two years. Because they thought it was a drag on the economy. You wouldn't want to outdo your husband. She was fine. But you know what? All of the followers of this carpenter, this rabbi, this teacher, they remembered that when he was on the cross, almost in his last moment of breath, he looked down at his mother, who was a widow, and he looked down at a disciple beside him, and he said this, Behold your mother. He said, Care for the widows. And this was one of the last things that Jesus said. So when this small little tiny community started coming together and the culture said, widows, we're going to find them. They're a drag on the economy. This small little tiny community said, no, 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 no. They're not going to be fined. They are not a drag on the economy. We are going to take care of every single widow that there is. They will be honored. They will be esteemed. They will be prized. And the care of widows and the generosity toward them, it was a central focus of this small little community. So it's no wonder that women were drawn to this dignity, to this purpose, to this community, this prizing, and they flocked. They flocked to the movement of Jesus because Jesus said, from little tiny babies to grieving widows, they all matter to me. They matter to God. And I understand the heart of women. And he would remind them, you are more, you are more, You are more. You are so much more than what the culture says you are. You are God's treasured daughter. And women flocked to this movement. All right, guys, I haven't talked to you very much. But here in just a second, I am going to talk to you. But before I talk to you, I want to give you a quote by a woman by the name of Dorothy Sayers. She was a person who didn't know Jesus, but she came to Jesus, and she said, uh, the reason I came to Jesus was because of this, and she wrote it in a book called Are Women Human? She says, perhaps it is no wonder that women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. They had never known a man like Jesus. There's never been such another. A prophet and a teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made arch jokes about them, who never treated them either as the women, God bless us, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without demeaning and who praised without condensation. 
who took their questions and their arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and had no uneasy male dignity to defend. Perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this. There has never in the history of the world who has been an advocate for women like this man. Thank God for the man Jesus because he changed the world upside down and compared to him, there is no number two. Now men, your attention. Most of you have spaced out through most of this because you've sat there going, oh, yep, Mother's Day. Well, I went mainly just because she told me to come. But this is a message just for you, men. Just for you. Men, you be like Jesus. You be like Jesus. In everything you say and everything you do, do not demean women. Do not disrespect women. Do not use them sexually for your own particular thought. Honor them. Serve them. Respect them. Love them. Look at every single woman that you see through the eyes of Jesus. Your mom, your wife, your daughters, your sisters, your co-workers, your neighbors. Look through the eyes of Jesus when you see them. And if you will do that, Jesus will help you to see the heart of every woman. And women, 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 women. I think of all the women in my life. I think of my mom. I think of my wife. I think of my sister. I think of my daughters. I think of all the women here at the jar who have embraced me, who have encouraged me, who have taught me things, who have uh, given me challenges in my life. And I am so grateful to God for the women in my life who have connected themselves to me. And so women at the jar, this is what I want to say to you. Use your gifts. Build your character. Feed your mind. Fight your sin. Take great risks. Pray great prayers. Dream great dreams. Offer humble service. And always remember this, that you do not have to compare yourself to anyone else. You do not have to be more than anyone else. Because of the cross, Jesus says this, you are are enough you're enough you are more than the image that you see in this mirror because when you look in the mirror every woman here you bear the image of God that's who you are because the world is waiting for every woman in this place to unleash the gifts that only you can give so that Christ would be glorified and honored in you. Please stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And if you would like prayer for anything, uh, these folks would love to pray with you. If today's the day where you're like, man, I want to follow that carpenter. I want to follow that rabbi. You can come up here and they would love 
to pray with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you give to us. Thank you for every woman who is in this gym today, especially the moms. They brought us into this world and they've encouraged us in so many ways. Help us to honor them, not just this day, but every day. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love went to a cross so that all people would be treated with love and respect in your eyes, men and women, boys and girls, because we were created in your image. Help us to do whatever we need to do to change our hearts and take one step closer to you so that your name would be made great in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, when you walked in today, you received a little card that said pray. And all the moms, I know you pray for your kids a lot. Next week, I'm going to talk about the power of prayer, and it's a great way to invite someone. Uh, So do that. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. Happy Mother's Day, everybody.